Motherfuckers, the only podcast where the worlds of work, comedy, and well-being collide. The podcast where the life-changing stuff happens. I'm your host, Callie Beaton, and this episode is called Hey Mama. If you haven't already, please do remember to rate, review, and recommend the podcast. And a huge thank you to everybody who has taken the time to do so. But back to today's show, which is all about mamas. Now, this is a fact that bodes well or ill, depending on your viewpoint and family setup. And it is this, children inherit their intelligence from their mother more than their father. Both my mother and father listen to the podcast, so I'm just going to leave that where it is. Aztec mothers who died in childbirth were regarded highly as warriors who died in battle. Yeah, quite bloody right too. And the last vote needed to pass the 19th Amendment, which was women's suffrage, came from a previously anti-suffrage politician. He changed his mind at the last minute when his mother wrote him a note telling him to be a good boy and ratify the amendment, which he duly did. Fetuses, apparently, are more responsive to music played through their mother's vagina than through her stomach. Alexa. Doctors in Finland believe that feeding babies small amounts of their mother's poo, yes, small amounts of their mother's poo, may strengthen their gut bacteria. I'd have to say I would need way more than a may strengthen before giving that a go. And in 2018, the Daily Express tweeted a photo of a blue British passport, not realising it was actually a spoof picture and that the coat of arms on it read, in a nod to Monty Python, your mother was a hamster. I can see you, I can hear you. Hold on, I'm just going to up the input level. That's my guest today, Abigail Burdess. In 2020, when a teenager in Lebanon realised that many people couldn't visit their mums for Mother's Day because of lockdown, he came up with a deal whereby for £5, he would fly a rose to your mother's home with a drone. All proceeds from the drone project were donated to the Red Cross. I love that teenager. And heckles aimed at passers-by in mid-19th century London included What a shocking bad hat, There she goes with her eye out, and has your mother sold her mangle? Uh, sorry, you've just now gone mute. Oh, so right. I've just got to do one. Abigail Burdess is a writer-performer who has written for TV comedies, including The Tracy Ullman Show, Watson and Oliver, and the BAFTA-winning That Mitchell and Webb Look. She's appeared in TV and radio comedies, including Fresh Meat on Channel 4, Cuckoo on BBC Three, and Lobbyland on Radio 4. I know her from working with her as a stand-up and her poetry appears in her husband Robert Webb's best-selling memoir, How Not To Be A Boy. She's also part of the brains behind the Female Pilot Club, who stage readings of pilot scripts written by women, starring the best and brightest of British comedic talent. And her debut novel, Mother's Day, a thriller, will be published in March next year. 
I should add, by the way, before we kick off the actual conversation bit of this podcast, I seem a little unconcerned at the start of the conversation when Abigail talks about her husband having nearly died. That isn't because I'm made of stone and I don't want to know how it played out. It's because I know who she's married to and I know it played out okay and that he's fully recovered. Anyone who doesn't know, Robert Webb almost died of a heart condition during the making of his highly anticipated second season of Back, his sitcom. Um, He is now fully recovered. He's given up apparently booze, cigarettes and Twitter, but thankfully he hasn't given up on life and he hasn't given up on Abigail. So I just wanted to get that in there because it's near the start of the interview. And frankly, I seem like a bit of a dick for not asking her more about it. So forget about me. Let's think about her. Abigail and I talked about writing, ageing, casting, mothers, babies, thrills, chills, premonitions, Noel Edmonds, dark protagonists and female writers. But I started by asking her whether she's still doing stand-up. I basically stopped uh, for the pandemic, just before the pandemic. So um, I had a, a family crisis. So I had to stop doing uh, stand up and then the pandemic. So my husband had open heart surgery. And so I had to kind of be a nurse for a bit. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stay at home and nurse him. I'm not going to go out and do jokes. I'm going to nurse my husband. Even and though it's a pand- rich mine, isn't it? A husband yes. nearly dying. I mean, come on, that writes itself. What a waste. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, but he's a writer as well. So then he might want to write it. So if I like hijack his exciting story, then that's the like, least he deserves after yeah. you nursed him. Abby. I could be that's... like, this is a story in which I am the hero. <laughs> yeah, I did but... know that it happened. And of course, oh, he gets you? all that he gets all the glory and the kind of like column inches and you're there sorting <laughs> shit out. Getting nothing. How was yeah. that? He's fine now, isn't he? Yeah, he's Basically. he's well now. He's very well. Um, but yeah, so I sort of stopped and then I um, and then the pandemic happened. And then I, so yeah, then I wrote this book. So now I'm mostly writing books. And this book is um, Mother's yeah. Day, which we're going to talk about. That is okay, the book okay, that you great, wrote. Yeah. But we will, yes, we will talk about that. That is because we want people to pre-order this amazing book. <laughs> <laughs> that is what we're here for. No, we're not. We're here to have a nice chat and okay. subtly plug your book uh, yeah. incessantly. But so you had, um, because the, it's funny, the stand-up thing. Like I, the pandemic actually made me love it more. So when I came back after the pandemic, I was more selective about the gigs I do, but I properly had the love of it. And I was being really brave about new material. And, but actually I'm at a slight sort of crossroads right now thinking, God, I do so many different things. And it's quite hard, isn't it? To do stand up is so all consuming. Yeah. If you're trying to have a family and write and do all the other things you do, it's actually incredible. It feels like almost a one horse race and the people who do really well, it often yeah. is largely the thing they do. I feel like to be a good stand-up, I think you mentioned this on um, the one with um, Esther, Anito, mm-hmm. but um, I think you have to, it has to be your thing, doesn't it? You have to work, it's a marathon. You have to work at it all the time. It's, re- you know, it's a it's a fitness thing. You have to be match fit. Yes, and so, but Which I was always another thing I'm not. So yes, oh, I mean, okay. on all these. <laughs> but it's because it, I do look at people who are doing. Because you and I, I think, started out. When did you start out doing stand up? I actually started doing stand up 
years ago and then I got, a, got they gave me a nice job as a writer and an actor and so I stopped doing stand-up and then I started doing stand-up again about about the same time as you I think so I met you on your second win yeah so I was on second win and I was like oh I love stand-up I miss stand-up I'm going back to stand-up and then the whole thing with the pandemic happened also, and then I got this job doing the writing stuff so it feels like every time I try and do stand-up someone gives me a better job so I don't know what that tells you <laughs> it tells us you're a bloody good writer and actor I mean so what it tells us is that you're is it Abby or Abigail by the way before I get overly familiar you can do whatever but Abigail's fine okay perfect okay. so I won't call you a name that's more familiar than your own husband calls you that would seem <laughs> presumptuous so yeah because I calls I'll... me dickhead okay, <laughs> well he needs to not do that's... that in case his heart gives up again is there a plug you can pull uh if anything goes wrong or is he not wired up it's a little names? zipper that I can just open like the baron yeah <laughs> well he needs to think on I've always so did you find uh, I've always as a stand-up and anyone who listens to this podcast will be sick of me saying it um I'm a much I think better performer than I am writer and I also put a lot more effort into just putting the man hours in and the woman hours indeed on stage but I don't put the hours into writing I'm very sort of loose about how my material comes about but somebody who's a really gifted writer and I guess you're and a great performer like what how how does it how is it bringing those two things then so as an accomplished writer and actor how is it then bringing those two to the stage as a as a stand-up is it the writing must be relevant for starters yeah I don't know I think for me the joy because I'm a massive dilettante and I basically do stand-up because I love it Mm -hmm. and so for me doing the stand-up is the fun of it is that you get to improvise and then you get to make it up as you go along and then it's all loose and that you can have those kind of mad nights where you just suddenly go off piste and start coming up with a random new 10 minutes of material just from whatever happens in the room so that's what I always love about stand-up is how exciting and one-off it is um, so it's kind of where I put all the stuff where I'm not, I should write more. But what I tend to do is like write a few bits and, stru- and then play around in, in between them and play around in between the jokes and the sections or whatever. Um, but I do think it's, I think that's, you know, because the joy of watching stand up, isn't it, is that is that you know that it's now. And it could go wrong. Yes. I think what you want, the ideal audience is members, is that someone's got it, like they they know what they're doing, they're good but yeah. it still might go tits up. I don't think you want to see someone who can't do it and it goes tits up, but it's a joy when you see a maestro and you're like the wheels. I remember seeing James Acaster trying to cope with a massive spider going across the stage. And by this wasn't that long ago. He was in a massive yeah. venue. And um, and I think he would have ignored it, but for the fact someone in the front row was terrified, had an actual arachnophobia thing. So oh, he no. had to do something because they had a proper turn. So there was a big old hullabaloo. But watching him do sort of 10 minutes on the spider and then still get back into the show which as you know with him it's all very carefully constructed and you need every two minutes worth to in order build to pay to the, off yeah. the bit at the end and if well, I, I haven't watching, said that that won't work yeah <laughs> exactly so I was thinking not only is this very funny about the spider but how the hell are you going to tie all the loose ends in but it's so that to me is like as good as it gets as an audience member when someone's really competent but but the wheels slightly come off as opposed to open like us like myself where uh, when we were all starting out the wheels would just come off because we were crap so but it's really interesting to hear you say that because I always assume if someone's a good writer you will just write and write and write your stuff and then not be willing to try stuff on stage but I guess your other side of the strings to your bow means you are confident on stage to just piss about in the moment 
It's the most fun, isn't it? It's the most fun bit. I think that it's also just that thing about stand-up which every, where everything changes, doesn't it, from moment to moment. I mean, I wouldn't like... It sounds like I know what I'm talking about, but I don't. But, but even as you age, like, the audience sees something else when you come on stage. So you have to be changing all the time because not just, like, from year to year, but even from week to week they see something else and something else might work and how rapidly are you aging abby you really, must have really you must have vaseline on the like lens what's it called progeria <laughs> yes yeah. get older and older by the day yeah. you look well, you look pretty much the same as five years ago to me i'm like i reckon you could still get away with exactly what you were doing looks wise that's literally i feel like i actually used to do a bit about that about how you kind of like it's like in when you're doing ad castings i'm just remembering the bit that where you go it's like you've got that disease that a fast aging disease because like you go from one you're, you're like 32 and you've got like a nice husband and a beautiful baby and then you're 33 and your husband's like suddenly 50 and your baby's 15 and then you're like 34 and your husband's like an old age pensioner and your baby's left home it's just that sort of oh my god oh my god I'm aging so fast does that actually happen do you think that because I've never done the acting side of things I've never gone for casting I've always just been what people see on screen if I get booked as a comic or a speaker or whatever but is that is that a thing that I guess it does really happen as an actor my god yeah like it's who you get matched up with who they think your family are right so you've got you've written for some pretty amazing shows in the past and how do you how do you get into because that, that again is the bit I'm always everyone knows he listens I'm so in awe of people who have a capacity to write well and particularly to write comedically well and yeah. you've written on some pretty incredible shows when did you write on Tracy Ullman's show was that uh, right that through was about, I wrote on Tracy Ullman's show with my partner Cicely Giddings who's just a genius um and that was maybe four, four or five years ago. Um, but yeah, no, I've written for lots of sketch shows. Um, that was quite weird, actually, writing for Tracy Orman's show. I think that was the one we had to pitch to the guy who who's like the silent partner in League of Gentlemen. He was the script editor. And so I was slightly... I was slightly nervous anyway because I was a fan. And then I was having to pitch jokes on Zoom... Uh, to that guy so it was I think quite, I know yeah, who a, that who that yeah, is so it was a, referring to yeah yeah so it was a fun job to get it was a fun job to get um and do you write with because one of the things I've never much written with a partner but I do I have occasionally actually I have occasionally written with people yeah and it definitely is I think so much more so much more productive and I think you do you also things they say you're able to help I'm much better at helping with other people's material like if I go and watch someone's Edinburgh preview I'll have loads of great stuff for them in yeah. a way I find it really hard to have about my own material so do you tend to prefer to write with people for comedy or do you mainly write solo I used to write um, more in a in the double act for when we were performing together, but nowadays I write solo because my partner hates me and dropped me. No, <laughs> no we just, I wasn't sure if you meant your husband or your writing partner, or if just everyone. If you are literally just, no, just on your own, still sometimes <laughs> we still sometimes get together and write for things. We're like, oh, should we pitch for this show or should we? Remember. but I do um yeah I know what you mean about writing comedy there is something really enjoyable about having someone to laugh with and also having someone to especially when you're starting out having someone to check isn't it and go is this funny this seems funny I think this is funny but uh is there something funny here whereas if you're just sending stuff out into the ether with no filter or no 
no quality control like a partner's a good quality control definitely and also I think the bit the element of play I mean if you think about that's I think why I find writing so hard that the thought of just sitting down with a pen and paper and knuckling down to writing seems so far from the fun I have when I'm talking and I do now pretty much exclusively write dictating so I literally just if I think of an idea I'll just say it how I think I'd like to say it on stage um, and then I'll look back at how I dictated it later and yeah. think oh actually I can muck about with it and actually that does work much better for me well you got and the I'm, software now as well you didn't use to have the software exactly the fact you need to do it on your iPhone I mean I'm always walking around like having stood Heath with my dog sort of saying weird sort of talking about things and people must be thinking who is she on the phone to that seems like yeah. a really weird conversation they're just thinking that you're a private investigator <laughs> in a 1950s movie <laughs> just going around going, okay. <laughs> yeah I need to get a, I need to get an appropriate hat and yeah, sunglasses exactly. um but I think not least because it's hot today and I'm ginger but I think it is it, for me it is partly that discipline of kind of play and I realized after the whole pandemic and it sounds like yours wasn't exactly a picnic with a very very ill husband um and, ha- and you've got kids who are still in need of parenting right they're yes, not I fully have, fledged yes. So teenage kids or they oh, you see this sit, she's judging me already for my age. She's guessing my kids are teenage. I'm guessing Actually, they're six months old. Thank you right now. <laughs> well, I knew you had kids when I last saw you. Yes, yeah. And I I'm knew that was five years ago. And I knew they weren't Insane. just born. So I was actually just a brilliant mathematician. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah no I've got I've got kids who are just getting in the, their tweens right so yeah um Yes, I've got kids in their in their twenties, Abigail, and when I'm on stage now, I reveal that, thinking I'll get a gasp. gasp. I go, yeah. my kids are in their twenties, and everyone's just like, yeah, yeah, we believe it. <laughs> so, uh, so you, I did got, a joke. I yeah, did a ahead. joke once about where I was where where I was talking, and I was inviting the audience to shout out the word middle-aged I can't remember what the prompt was but it was something like you know I'm I'm too young to do this but I'm too old to do this I don't know what to call it I don't know what to call it you know it's just kind of doing one of those ones because it prompted the middle eight and someone shouted out menopausal (laughs) at the time I was like fuck you little knowing that now it would get you your own tv show so yeah (laughs) it's massively helpful thing so when you so one of the things that um, I ended up starting doing a bit of I used to work as a um, kind of coach among other things when I was having my day job and yeah. I did a bit of that during the pandemic. I, I offered kind of pro bono, one-off, one-hour coaching sessions for sort of creatives who'd lost their jobs, not because I'm an altruist, but because I was absolutely bored out of my skull right. and didn't know what to do with myself. But hopefully it helped a few people. It definitely helped me doing it. But one of the things that became really clear, which is so obvious, isn't it? But everybody had lost the fun, play bit yeah. of their lives. So at best, people were like, well, I'm lucky my family are healthy and we've got a garden and we take the dog out for a walk and we We've got enough food. And that was about as good as it got. And I think there's a bit of that in terms of people who were writing a lot of stand up during the pandemic. I was just like, I don't know how you're writing so much. I'm writing for Zoom gigs I'm doing. Like if I have a brief, I will write for it. But I wasn't giddying around the place thinking, oh, this hilarious thing happened and I can't wait to write about it. It just it sapped my hedonism. And there's something about writing with a partner that means you're playing in the process of writing, which I think is a really helpful thing when what you're trying to create is meant to be a bit giddy oh, and silly. Yeah. I mean, during the pandemic, I didn't write comedy. That's when I went, right, okay, I can't think of anything funny. There's no way I'm going to think of anything funny. So I'm going to go deep inside and write something dark. 
So when I, but so let's t- yeah, let's so talk that, about yeah. the darkness because when the I heard dark. about your book, the darkness. When I heard about your book, Mother's Day, published yes. in March 2023, available okay. for pre-order in the show notes. Lovely <laughs> listener. Um, so I was assuming when I knew because I've met you a few times, I know a little bit about you, and I was like, oh, it'll be a sort of fun. Huh? And then I started looking into it, and I was like, oh, right, okay. So this is not a fun frolic. This is quite dark. It is. It's so it's. I think it's they're calling it a darkly comic thriller. So there you go. So there are jokes, but the plot mechanism is not funny. So I write sitcom and things as well where, and I teach sitcom actually. So lots of it is like, oh, how do you make a, a plot itself funny? And so this in this book is about um, uh, the, the dramatic question is a dramatic one and not a comedic one. It's It's essentially pretty pretty full on it's about um so it's about a woman Anna who uh goes looking for her biological mother she finds a clue and when she gets mugged as to her biological mother's identity and she goes to find her real family quote um and she finds them and so and lots of it is a sort of uh are they her real family? <laughs> Are they okay? So it's um it's a domestic suspense, I think they're sometimes called, where you, you know, the oh my god, is the nanny gonna kill the baby? It's one of those ones. Yeah, yeah. it's who I'm in a so, room with, really, who I think I'm in a room with. Yes, exactly. And is and it obviously we're hoping this will be made into television uh, at some point. I'm imagining there's a good chance. It, have you had any conversations along those lines yet? Um, I'm not, uh, I've not, had some conversations. Not at liberty to say. No. I've decided that hope, means Hopefully, we'll fingers just, crossed. Yeah, we'll you, know, but you never know with we'll, telly, do you, anyway? No. Because they're like, they. it always falls through at the last minute. Or not. So, sometimes it, it falls some into t- place at the last minute. Let's be, let's be people, optimistic. Yeah, yeah. So is it, so in terms of writing that, you're obviously very accomplished in terms of tone structure content you teach writing yeah is this is your first novel it's my first yeah so I feel like I'm really a real baby and I don't really know what I'm doing that was my question really because I can imagine anybody's first novel feels like a, a pretty massive thing to birth excuse the pun yeah. given the title of the book but is it yeah. did it help or hinder do you think the fact that you are a writer by trade anyway I think it was um very helpful in terms of structuring a book and making sure and believing that you can finish it like I think lots of people want to write books don't they and it's really hard to keep going because you're like will this will this ever end will I ever have produced something I don't know have you written a book Kelly no that's a bit of a sore point I meant to have been writing a book since the beginning of the pandemic and have woefully failed to write a book so far I've written bits of a book um at some point I might actually get my shit together so I really do admire mine's mine's not um mine's not a a novel so it's not so I I don't know how a funny book about how you apply comedic structure to business it's that, that type of thing. It's, it's a bit like okay. the a bit like the podcast. So kind of comedy, uh, okay. sort of combination of all the things I do. So sort of comedy, well being, work, sort of life. So so yeah, sort of a, a a fun book that's funny with some takeouts. 
Um, but it's so really the sort of thing I should be able to knock out, like a sort of <laughs> like a compilation of the Guardian and FT pieces I write, only new ones. So it shouldn't be that difficult to do, but I haven't applied. And now I've got a puppy. I have no time to do anything. But that will change when he's. I think it's a good sign that you haven't written it because it means that you're taking it seriously. You're going to write a really good one. I absolutely love you. And I'd like you to come on every week to the podcast and tell me that. But then some people like you. So that was my next question. And I also do want to ask you about sitcom writing and some of the tricks. But you probably can't give much away because you want people to actually come and do your lessons. Really but, fine. <laughs> but in terms of right. So you've got you've got something quite dark going on. You've got an ill husband. You've got a global pandemic at yeah. the time that this was all going on. We properly didn't know what was going to be going on and we thought we were living in a sort of apocalyptic movie yeah so when and how in that part of your life did you start to do the book so it was during second lockdown and lockdown the sequel never as good as the first not as good as the first it was a bit boring the sequel so I wrote a book yeah I think that was fair we were all a bit like we're over this whole bloody pandemic but if you will ground us we'd like to do something We've had enough of Joe Wicks. Go and sit down, Joe Wicks. Exactly. Sit Go down. to have a burger. Yeah, lard out. So husband yeah. was a bit better by then. You were still yeah. homeschooling, though, presumably. Yeah, although he sort of took that over. Oh, so he was well enough and you were like, right, I've done this now. Here are the children. Here are the children. And I'm just going to write the book. So I, uh, I had an idea from ages ago is this the sort of thing you want to know I might be I feel like I'm being really dull because normally when I'm on a podcast I do comedy stuff and now I'm talking about something serious no I'm it's, interested it just feels weird no don't it feels weird don't you um, worry and if, if I ended up listening back and thinking that was the most boring thing ever I'd just cut it and we'd it. just be like I just put the bit in where you say I'm a really good writer because I haven't written a book and then I'd be like thank you Abigail Bardess here's where you order her book so yeah that'd be fine um yeah, so I did it in the second lockdown, but I'd, I'd already written the idea. So I've always loved those kind of movies like um, Fatal Attraction and Single White Me Female. Too. Yeah, yeah look, and I was just like, why aren't there any of those around? Like, It's funny what? you say that. That's the vibe I was getting when I was researching the book. I was like, that's yeah. what it feels like. It's a kind of literary channeling of that kind of material. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I wanted because I love those movies. I think they're super fun, like the hand that rocks the cradle kind of stuff. And so... So I was like, I wrote it originally as a movie idea years ago, like 10 years ago, I wrote, I wrote it as a movie idea. And then I went in lockdown, I suddenly thought, oh, I could, oh, I could write that movie idea as a book. And, and then I just wrote it super fast and it just sort of went, came out like in a sort of mad tumble um, of, yeah, of just, uh, like I just knew, I knew where I was going and what was going to happen. And I just, it just sort of race to the finish and got it out yeah so it was it was but it was a bit of um sinking into the old, old madness i think Namaste, motherfuckers. do you think it is the, the old sort of adage about the work that we're doing the, the kind of clever bit of the work we're doing is the bit when we're not when we're not actually writing the bit in between the writing and then when when the bit comes that is the real stuff you want it's because of all the pre-work do you think because you'd put it down as a movie you'd obviously be mulling it over then for a decade without necessarily consciously knowing that do you think it had been taking shape as a novel before you even put pen to paper I definitely do and also there's a lot in there that's uh, not to give too much away but there's a lot in there that's very I think anybody's first novel is pretty autobiographical yeah so obviously you know there's also some psycho 
killer stuff but um it's yeah now i'm worrying not, if i should be calling yeah. some kind of <laughs> emergency <laughs> services <laughs> yeah so there is obviously sort of some things in there that are have elements of my own life and you know uh, the the main character is my protagonist anna works at a refugee charity which is something that i did and so i i basically made life quite easy for myself by giving giving my protagonist a job i'd had and uh you know things like that so making her boyfriend similar to quite a lot of boyfriends that i've had and you know it's the things where um it it, it made life uh, easier i hope for me but more relatable i hope for the reader and those things you've just described where you're sort of borrowing from your own life and I think yeah. it is inevitable isn't it your first work is autobiographical whether you plan it to be or not yeah. and people sometimes say that's why second novels are so t- difficult because you've sort of burnt through that side of things to some degree yeah. but you've t- the things you talked about there are quite external so you know working for charities sort or of types of boyfriends given the sort of internal machinations and the kind of psychological tension and the darkness is that knowing you only a bit you seem the opposite of that but obviously as clowns we do very much portray this bubbly happy exterior (laughs) so that that sort of darkness is that something you found easy to get to is that something that that is connected to you as a person I found it quite easy to connect to Mm -hmm. it was um I suppose the I don't know, Lee Child says um, a thriller is a story where you ask a question and you wait to the very end of the book to answer it. And so I think the question in my book is uh, kind of what is a real family? Or, But the, thr- the thriller question that I ask, the very opening of the book, you, there's a baby in danger. And you fi- you have to wait to find out if the baby's safe, and so, uh, so I suppose I, um, I think that's something that a lot of mums worry about. Like I actually had those worries, like as almost as when I, when mine were babies. My first one was a baby. I used to get visions of terrible things happening to her, and that my protagonist has those visions of kind of like. I used to just literally see these terrible things happening to her and I found it so worrying. And then when I got older, I mentioned it to a doctor and they were like, that's like a recorded phenomenon and it's designed to keep your baby safe. How interesting. Is that's that, really helpful for people listening who have that because I yeah, didn't because know that. There will be loads of people who've had that. Who then. go like, oh, you know, I'd see, oh my God, I'd see that myself dropping her or whatever. And they go, no, no, your brain is keeping your baby safe. It's showing you all of the possible ways that, they could be hurt so, so they, you were probably fearing it was a premonition but yeah, actually so I was, was like oh my god am I evil I'm seeing these awful sick things I'm terrible I'm a terrible human being I I sometimes have um I have a vision of myself falling down the stair like I, I I've I have a vision of myself falling down the stairs and that being my ultimate divide d- demise and I quite <laughs> often have that going it's really weird like I'd like this on record now if that is what happens yeah. everybody it was actually a premonition but I Laura Ashley fell didn't she falling she fell down the stairs I think that's Did she? Laura Ashley yes oh. um maybe trying to put up one of those ornate borders you know you're gonna make it happen now because <laughs> by like having had not... that vision you're gonna like trip yourself over at the time I am not Noel Edmonds I cannot universally <laughs> order I did want to go to Champneys with Noel Edmonds and they ended up shutting off a 
whole I didn't go with him he just right. was at Champneys when I was at, at the same time yeah and I was with okay. a mate uh and we were in sort of adjoining rooms um you know and, and sort of doing what you do when you go to Champneys and smuggling in you know alcohol and all the things they don't like you having and then they shut us they suddenly moved us and made us all go to another part of the hotel and we were like why are you moving us and they said oh because we've got a big celebrity who needs this whole wing Anyway, luckily, we both work in telly and we were like, well, we are not going to move for a big celebrity unless you tell us how big the celebrity is. Well, this is Noel Edmonds. We were just like, fuck off. Tom Cruise, at least. Exactly. We were like, we're moving. Exactly. I think we were earning more than Noel Edmonds at that point. We were like, no, we are not even going to move tables for Noel Edmonds. Anyway, that's got my Noel Edmonds rant out. I wasn't expecting that. Um, So in terms of the characters being unsympathetic, so increasingly, uh, as you know more than anyone, we're watching things where actually none of the characters are particularly sympathetic so Ozark and shows like that where there's there's bits that are sympathetic but where you're like these are dark nasty people at their heart yeah how would you describe your protagonists in this so obviously Anna's the main protagonist but I'm guessing the mother is a pretty major major part the mother's quite important yes I imagine um um, I don't I think that I think it's really important that you've got to I don't think it's important you have to like them, but I do think it's very important that you have to understand your characters. And so I'm a big, you know, save the catter. I think it's important that you've got to see them, usually in relation to other people, isn't it? It's like if if we're following somebody and they're better than the awful people around them. Yes. You just sort of think, <laughs> I'm on your side in terms of allies. I'm, I'm going with you guys. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and is it, and, and I guess it's partly you being inhabiting those characters, writing it during a, albeit second lockdown, but still during a yeah. lockdown, which was quite bleak anyway. Yeah. But also me. in terms of people reading it. So how much do, do your readers need to have skin in the game of liking your protagonists? I um, don't know. I hope that they would. I mean, it's, it's quite funny and stuff. So there's like, there are lots of, kind of intrigues and ooh, who's the father of her baby and who's the like so there's like mamma mia Abigail. like Ma- it's very much like <laughs> i mamma thought mia. it was it sounds exactly the yeah, same actually derivative very very similar um so so hopefully uh you're not gonna have to you're not gonna have to be like i'm definitely on side and i want the my character to be relatable and lovable and a real sweetie pie i think there are different ways aren't they you can make a character i mean i hope well, I, I love dark they're... characters. I love flawed right, okay. dark characters because it yes. makes. I think a lot of us it makes us feel a bit bloody better about you know Instagram perfection and what people convey. I'm always really pleased when I do these podcasts. If if people turn up really glossy and everything's great and everything looks beautiful and nothing's messy and they're like life's great, I'm like, oh, that's made me feel really very inadequate. I prefer it's, 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 when we're tell, all... <laughs> great. Callie's now looking at me, and I've literally got snot running down my horrible hoodie. <laughs> well, the thing I'm most worried about is I haven't seen another living soul since you've been there and I know you live in a family home and after talking of all these dark parenting traits I'm like where is everyone Abigail when did anyone see your family (laughs) Uh, no I also think you can make a character the characters themselves witty and funny and that helps doesn't it it's like you can be a like the the current book I'm writing has got a pretty dark protagonist as well but he's a stand-up and he makes a lot of a lot of jokes and so you sort of go, so hopefully you'll be on side just because you like his jokes. Yes, for sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? And do you have, um, I'm imagining as someone who's written sort of scripted content for telly for a long yeah. time and teaches sitcom writing. So is yeah. the, was the dialogue 
for some people, the dialogue's the very hardest bit to get right. And I'm guessing for you, you were I was, quite able to inhabit the dialogue. I was fine with that. I always yeah. worry. I was fine with the dialogue, but I do worry about, um, I, I only ever worry about structure. That's all I ever worry about. So I have, I have huge um, uh, charts, enormous five act structure charts with those lines like they always have in, in, in series like Ozark where they're like, it looks like I'm a detective where I've got all the like, this person is connected to this person. How? Big question mark. That sort of thing. And how did um, you, you teach people to do that? Who taught you to do that? Uh, it's really cheeky of me to teach it at all. So I've literally, Please I've never got- do not say you don't think you're qualified to teach it after all you've ever written on. Like if you're not, who is? <laughs> That's what I'd like to know. Name I've something. never got an original sitcom away, but I've written a lot of sitcoms. Yeah. But none of them has ever got made. But that is absolutely no bearing on talent when you look at what you've written on, for sure. It's you know, we know how serendipitous, <laughs> God, having worked on the other side for most of my career, I can, t- even as the people who were commissioning stuff, you're, you don't even have the control at your own end as to what gets commissioned in the end because 17 other people get involved and the person who had the passion for it doesn't gets overruled and so when you see the machinations on the inside you can see why some incredible stuff doesn't get commissioned but I would say you've kind of paid your dues as a writer I don't think there's any okay, doubt thanks so. thanks for that appreciate it <laughs> do you really feel like an impo- do you really feel that you shouldn't be there do you, do you properly feel like an imposter even given everything you've achieved uh, yeah sure don't yeah you don't you you, you I completely do, do. I, I mean that's I I have old speeches and TED talks about it I, I dine out okay. on it but yeah I do I suppose it's just interesting it is really interesting isn't it I was chatting to another female comic yesterday who's really nailing it on the circuit and on telly and I mean she's one of the people who's absolutely doing everything you'd want to be doing and I was saying I'm having a really bad week and I'm doubting myself and what the fuck am I doing and she was saying, she's I'm having exactly the same. I've literally been thinking I should give up this week. And I was thinking, what, this week you think you should give up? And I've just seen <laughs> what you're doing this week. So it was really, it, it's kind of reassuring to know that other really talented women feel the same way that I do. But on the other hand, I think, God, why do we feel like this? Maybe it's not a women thing. Maybe it's a human thing. It's definitely, I think it's definitely an artist thing, but it's probably also a woman artist thing, isn't yeah. it? Kind of Female creatives are played with art, Artists is much more poncy term than creative. I think I like your creative. That sounds better. Well, I think, um, no, you do create things that might be constitute art. If anyone's seen my stand-up, I'd be like, at best, Kelly, you're creative. I can tell you my thriller is not art. It's a fun read. <laughs> okay. I keep wanting to say that is not art. To Did you read, have you read Stephen King's book about writing? Uh, I actually haven't. It's one of the only ones I haven't read. I've got yeah. all of the books I'm writing. I'm sort of. It's really inter- Yeah, it's really interesting. Given I'm not a massive. I mean, well, I suppose if, if nothing else, someone who can knock out that kind of prolific content is, yeah, is interesting to hear about that. I'm not a massive Stephen King fan, but yes, it is a really interesting book in terms of um, uh, you know the writing process. But how? So so how did you? How did you learn to write then? So, so because there How is a real technical side to, to some of the stuff that you do, right? I mean, with sitcoms, there yeah. are real beats you have to hit. It isn't just sort of randomly, to, let's put everyone yeah. in the bar of the Queen Vic and hope something happens. Uh, weirdly enough, what writing on East Enders <laughs> massively helped me with my yeah. writing. I have okay, to say. So is that did it? Because I that is to, a, real, yeah. a real boot camp, isn't it? Yeah, so I, I would say it really, really helped in terms of just going like whip you into this is your this is your conflict this is your 
these are your five stories. This this is A, B, C, D. This is how it, they all have to cross at the midpoint. This is, you know, all of that sort of stuff. I found And it how do you learn? Useful. Do they teach you that? So when you got that job, how, how oh, do you yeah, learn all of that? Really random job where I was, I got taught. I was very lucky that uh, I was, because it was on the BBC Writers Scheme where they, and uh so competitive that though to get through on that as a sort of person who hasn't gotten in that's quite something in terms of talent oh thanks yes it was good it was a boost at the time and then John York who writes that Mm -hmm. book Into the Woods was taught on it so I had of course been a massive spod and read his book before and loved his book before so I was like so excited about actually getting to be have three days being taught one-to-one or whatever by or one-to-four by John York who was in front of us but he, he did do quite a lot of his book so there was quite a lot of me going I know what it is it's on page 17 and this the answer to the question and everybody sort of pinging bits of chewed up like, paper oh, at the back of your head but no I think I learned I only started really going and learning about creative writing and structure probably about um eight years ago Uh, so I wrote for things before I uh, you know I'd written sketches and I'd written stuff for telly before I'd kind of gone wait a minute that you know how how do people write scripts and I, I think it's difficult with script writing because you learn you never read you don't read scripts at school I mean maybe people do read scripts at school now but at my school we read books Mm. and so you learned about storytelling from books um and you didn't read scripts and learn about how to tell a story in a script form we did a bit of that at a level when I did a level I think it would have been maybe it was English but I know we did sort of Pinter and we did Akebourne and we did some sort of yeah we did do some plays and dramatists yeah so not not TV scripts although we did a bit of that when I went to Goldsmiths and studied drama but even then I didn't I, I did I did a tiny bit of, um, I, I did a screenwriting course and tried to start getting into that. And I just, I found it just impossible for me. It's not a skill I have. So I have enormous respect for people who do because you don't, there is so much more to it than people realise in terms of the things you sort of do need to know. And then you've got to have the raw talent to make it happen. But you, by the time you started sort of studying the art of it, then less than a decade ago, yeah, you had a hell of a lot in the bank that you'd already done. So did it? Did, did some of it feel like you were bringing the unconscious knowledge to, to conscious life? Or did you actually learn lots of new things? So I think I, I always feel like I need to be as structured as possible because I'm such a weirdo that... If I can just follow the official rules, then I then I can point at it when you know, <laughs> producers go, why do you do this crazy thing? And when you say of, weirdo, do you mean in your approach or in the content you generate? I think that you're a very lovely weirdo as someone who has met you IRL. Thank you. Uh, I feel like, lo- I mean, I have to say that lots of the responses to the book, for example, I just frank kind of uh, amazement and horror. So there's a lot of, oh, my God, how, how did you come up with this? these crazy, crazy characters? And I'm just going, oh, it's just, it's just me, my sister, my mum. <laughs> it's just like documenting Christmas dinner. This is literally documenting <laughs> Christmas dinner. So I do feel like perhaps I am quite strange. And so... <laughs> 
certainly from how people seem to respond to the content. And so I feel like if I can go, but do you see, I have a perfect midpoint and a very good break into act three, then uh, then I, I can get away with it more. So it won't just be the ravings of somebody who's about to be yeah. kicked into the Priory. Yes. It will be something that has exactly. merit. I think the fact that it's getting talked about a lot, read, uh, pre-read and, uh, and is being published is a pretty good sign that you're not barking up completely the wrong tree. Like- Do you... Um, You've also got the Female Pilot Club, which is really interesting. Because I love the fact, without you banging on about it, but you are doing very, very interesting things with female characters on stage, on screen and on the page. But you're also actually doing things that are really interesting for women who are trying to get their their content and their work seen and heard but you don't sort of bang on about it you're just doing it so I do kind of love that you're you're a kind of um a very important member of the sisterhood by stealth so tell tell listeners about what the female pilot club is so the female pilot club we uh we stage public read-throughs of uh sitcoms by sitcom scripts by women so um yeah and it's we've done lots we've done a few now I think we've probably done 10 because we did a few in lockdown as well have you got any sitcom scripts you want to send in Callie? no but i've got a couple of very talented mates who do so yeah yes. but it's more that, that sort of thing of going like so if you know someone who's got a really good script where you're just like that deserves an airing that should have yeah. got made i'm gonna um, i'm gonna knock one out this weekend debbie and yeah, i'll be in touch just yeah, it in. No problem. But we've had no we've had amazing people on it like uh georgia pritchett who writes yeah. succession she had one on and just a uh, julie bauer who writes so awkward? So she's got loads of series of children's TV, but not, but a sitcom didn't get made. So yeah, so we do we st- we sort of cast them as if they're on the telly, so we get proper stars to be in them, and they've all they all volunteer, which is just incredible. These actors just come in and and do it voluntarily in order to further the general feminist cause. It's amazing. Um, it is amazing. So, yeah. And to, and it's the aim then that that having happened, it is obviously giving that particular piece of work a better chance that it will then be seen, heard and commissioned. Yes. Yeah, so it's partly just for the for the work itself, because these are great mm-hmm. sitcoms and you go, hopefully they'll get help them on their way to the mm-hmm. telly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have commissioners and producers and people come to the shows. And so the writers come. So we have like a really weird audience of half normal people who will actually laugh and half telly people who just sit there with their notebooks going yes <laughs> I'm familiar with that experience <laughs> stand up yeah. <laughs> you've got industry you, and worst audience worst ever. audience ever yeah. isn't it so horrible. that was part of our motivation for doing it is that when you do a read through when usually the first time you get your script if you if you're lucky enough to get your scripts developed in a by tv people and you're lucky enough to get to the stage where it gets a read through the first time you get a read through is in front of a bunch of po-faced people who don't necessarily give you feedback about where the jokes are and what you know it's not the best environment it is not it's not good for the old ego I think and whenever you see whenever they show them like you know if it's Seinfeld or Curb and they do a sort of behind the scenes then on that one they'll have people guffawing because they know they're going to use it as part of the documentary and you're like no that is not what read-throughs are like that is a televised read-through yeah there were just four guys going yeah that'll work yeah, 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 yeah. So, you might want to think about changing that a little bit. Yeah. So it goes, so it brings, so, so it, it helps yeah. the it helps the writer. So partly it's to help the writer to see what works and what doesn't, and often just to see that it works and like go if if people laugh, 
then and also it helps the telly people see that it's funny because they go look we've done it in front of an audience of actual people and they seem to laugh at it and so it helps telly people see that a that the writer's funny and b that the script is funny and it helps the writers see where they can make improvements as well as and it also introduces writers and producers to each other and try and because I, I think traditionally or historically um female writers are uh, kind of massively underrepresented mm-hmm. in comedy writing so there was a report I think it was in 2018 um I'll look it up but uh which said one in one in 11 I think scripts have a female writer credited so it's it's kind of quite like, it's sort of like years plumbing ago. or something unbelievable it's very, yeah it's just kind of people are sort of always a bit shocked and they're like really I wouldn't but there are all these famous amazing genius women writers and you're like yes there are but as the sort of you know the everyday uh stats go they're kind of quite surprising I suspect that that's changing really rapidly which but it also good. means that some of the characters we most love, some of the female characters we most love are written by men until more recent times, which again is an interesting difference, isn't it? When you look at having, you know, and when you start looking at having multi-layered characters, you know, the thing I loved about Mayor of Easttown, as I'm sure many people did, was the fact that without banging on about it, there were just loads of women like me who were the protagonists and they were just the kind of interesting, they were, they were just sort of multi-layered women of a certain age doing their thing flaws and all and it just felt such a wonderful thing to see that on screen but I do think there's been a it's going to take a very very long time to change the actual culture of the settings that we see people in on screen who's writing them who's who wants to watch them I don't know what the research would be about um, what people want to see on screen but I do know that and I'm sure you'll know this too but as a female stand-up sometimes the barriers to success are female audience members not male audience members so there's also that is what what do we want to see and what voice are we willing to hear yes it's an interesting interesting (laughs) very very gritted teeth we said actually no I mean I actually met a guy sitting next to a guy at a wedding who uh does the stats on Netflix so his job oh, is that's to go a good to, seat because often it's boring who you get seats yeah, next to a wedding. So that's a good table plan, yeah. And he was like, you know, so he does the algorithms of what people Ooh. search for, and then he goes to telly yes. people and says stuff like, "They want a thriller with a female lead <gasps> aged forty to forty-five, or whatever." That is what you want to be booking, which in some ways is sort of mental, isn't it? Because that's not why we like Mayor of Easttown. No. We like Mayor of Easttown because it's brilliant. And because, but yes, partly it's because you're seeing a character you haven't seen before, i.e. this hot, you know, the hard-bitten detective with the complex layers. And I mean, I think the reason Mayor of Easttown is so wonderful is because you've got all of those, it's the small townness, isn't it? Yeah. It's because yeah. you're going every single person (laughs) is connected to this and so the stakes could not be high oh absolutely and just brilliantly and brilliant 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 acting is that I do I do think though the other because we used to be very big on research when I was at Viacom CBS um particularly actually for Nickelodeon and the kind of kids brands which I do understand why people do that when it's kids program and I know you I know you've you've worked in the kids tv space as well yeah but the real challenge with the with something like Mayor of Easttown is yeah you might be finding out what the algorithms are and people want a 45 year old flawed protagonist with cellulite on her bum but by the time you go through the process of long-form commissioning and production you're two and a half years later so whatever they thought they wanted then anyway the ships so in a way it's all changed like actually 
you're really pissing in the wind, aren't you? Because by the time you you make the thing you think there's an appetite for, the lead time is so big on scripted that it's it's very hard to predict the zeitgeist. Yeah, but it's kind of crazy that that's the way things are commissioned because, you know, just the whole notion that you would be looking for something. Like, we write stuff because it comes out of us and it's a you know a necessary and important question for us at this point in our lives you know mm-hmm. I have a, I'm a strong believer in people writing the story that they need to hear so the that I you know you write the protagonist's question that you need to work through yourself and you need to hear and find out what the answer is, that might sound very hippie. No, not at um, all. I always think with the, I always help whenever I've helped people with their kind of well-being and all the things I do that I still do that are, and everyone's like, oh my God, it, you're so helpful and you're so stable. And I'm like, no, 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 I teach what I need to learn for sure. So I'm not nearly as stable as the people I help be stable. Exactly. So you're drawn to a story because you want to hear the arguments on both sides and to know what you think about something and to work out what you think about something. And so that is a, that is a, the powerful impulse to create isn't it? and to make something. And, and it, that doesn't really have anything to do with what people imagine is in the zeitgeist or, or people trying to catch. I always, I don't know. I always feel like I'm literally eight years ahead of the curve. That's my, so, <laughs> I've always so you had an eight year old my, before you were even pregnant. Yeah, so well, no wonder we're confused pregnant. about the age of your children. <laughs> that sounds very <laughs> arrogant, but it's like, I always feel like eight years after I try and sell an idea, whatever it was comes out. So, you know, like whatever. whatever so the, you need to I go, go work for I'm, Netflix. Yeah, no, don't worry about, yeah, don't worry no, about can, bloody writing. Just get onto the mighty like Netflix Cassandra. <laughs> I could be like one of those men's hats. You know, the ones, or just like lying in a big bath of milk naked with things attached to my brain going. I do Whoa. that anyway. <laughs> don't you? Yeah, we need a musical about, about trying to get over your own it's not a bad idea it's not a bad idea for a show though actually someone who's always eight years ahead and anyway leave that with you I feel like I'm never in the zeitgeist I feel like I'm always just like oh no oh no people still think I'm straight no no so I'm hoping that as I get older (laughs) maybe you're really behind you know how like the 70s came back 30 years later I reckon you're 22 years behind not eight years ahead much better that's much better it takes away the one thing that I've said about myself is good. There you go. I'm like, no, I'll have that off you. Thank you. Uh, let's stick with self-deprecation. Come on. Um, before I ask you the three questions I ask everybody, um, I just so just to say to people also, you have a podcast, the Female Pilot Club podcast. I do so that's and they're going ahead with a, they're doing another series of that as well. So yeah, amazing. So we will put a link to that because that's such a phenomenal idea. I have to say, people who don't know about that absolutely should. And you've got a website for the Female Pilot club so people can check that out so we absolutely but I did just want to ask you said right at the start when you were talking about your book you said you know and I teach people in sitcom writing how to marry kind of plot and a serious question and comedy I know you can't answer in one quick soundbite how do you do that but in terms of that marrying up of of dramatic tension seriously difficult topics sometimes and the funny kind of payoff is is there a kind of a hint or something you could you could say that might help a listener who's intrigued by that well, I suppose if you're writing comedy, your um, the question is your dramatic question needs to be a comedy question. Ultimately, the question in comedy is always, "Why am I such a spoon?" 
yes yeah so so it's that so you have you sort of create a dramatic arc and then revert in sitcom traditionally um so you go all the way as if your character is just about to change and learn but no they turn out to be the yeah so there you go there's my little sum up and that's creating a circular sitcom plot. <laughs> and yeah. that's that Mitchell and Webb look summed up. Namaste, motherfuckers. Abigail, what would you pick as your namaste motherfucking life-changing moment? Okay, this is going to be sl- a slightly odd one. I do getting things done. Do you know getting things done? No. So it's like Zen admin. So it's a guy called David Allen. Who? So it's just about where you should put your to-do list and oh. what you know it's all it's a productivity it's a personal productivity I cannot believe I've not come across this I yeah. love a new thing like this I'm getting I'm borrowing yeah, so straight I love, into this I love a kind of personal productivity me system. too um yeah but he has um a thing where you write you write a project list so you put a separate list for your projects which are anything that takes more than one action like one thing to do so I was writing my project list I will say that when I've actually done this properly have been my best financial years is that right well I've yeah. now totally I'm on board I'd go for I'm it I'm in go for it I've got when like, you say zen and financially successful in the yeah. same with same the, about the same thing I'm like this is fucking awesome yeah the, the idea is that you know every, you know all the promises you've made to the world in your conscious brain which is quite a sort of full-on that you're aware of every promise you've made mm-hmm. to other people and to yourself for what you're going to do so yeah so I'd have this project list of going you know uh get whatever it is sick or made get whatever book published blah 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 um and I was writing this list and I was like oh I I can't do those things none of the projects which I have written down are actually within my power the only thing which is in within my power is to write the script or write the book and then to send it out. But I'm not a publisher and I'm not a, you know, I'm not a don't make TV. So I, it's, it was that moment of going, oh, I don't have to hate myself as I write out another project list of things that I ought to achieve because I can't achieve any of these things. And I am, I am not omnipotent. I am limited. And what I should be trying to achieve for myself is should be should be within my scope. That sounds very, very. I knew uh, you were going to self-deprecate after that, but actually, you have give, that is one of the only Namaste motherfucking moments that gave me a Namaste motherfucking moment while you said it. So Ooh. that was, I will just say, extremely timely. And I thank you for that. I think you might have just made something shift quite importantly for me. So please don't oh. self-deprecate. That was a proper life-changing one. Okay, good. Well, yes. So I think that was a it, that was a good moment for me. Well, not my business. Not my business. And what to say no to. I'm, I'm really, I'm really immersed yeah. at the moment in saying no. Um, and because for all the things you say yes to, you are inevitably saying no to stuff you haven't got the time to do. So um, yes, thank you. That's yeah. a very interesting reframing of saying of, of what opportunity you're not going to do. cost. Yeah, for, for sure. Yeah. 
and going from the sincere life-changing goosebumpy yeah. moment that I've just had listening to that what would what's your favorite joke uh it's a Woody Allen joke it's from Woody Allen but it was it was saying there was this great mythical beast and it had the head of a lion and the body of a lion but not the same lion I read that when I was a kid and I was like, that is good. That is really good. That's Anyways, really good. It's surreal. But... And it you know, can set taps into what you said, your, your weirdness, the taste. <laughs> but I love it. I love, 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 love it. And if you could give one bit of life advice, Abigail, to anybody listening, what would it be? Um, there's no food ketchup does not improve. <laughs> that was abigail burdess so it's almost it for this week every episode i pick a thing as you know inspired by my guests that i'm gonna do and spoiler alert i think you know what it is this week it is abigail's namaste motherfucking life-changing moment i'm gonna give david allen's getting things done a bit of a try i've had a quick look before recording this i have to say my first impression was that it looked a little bit weird culty but that said i respect abigail a lot and the way she described it, it did sort of sound transformational so i'm going in with an open mind and that is it for this week thank you so much as always for listening um, especially if you've got this far to the very very end of the podcast um, do please remember to rate review and recommend the show and we will be back in your feed next thursday as always when i'll be talking to giles paley phillips and jim daly joint hosts of the brilliant blank podcast and then they never ever mention like my delivery or quality of questions but the pod wouldn't happen without uh, there was a tweet going around saying um every podcast has one person that does loads of research and one person just reacts to questions namaste motherfuckers was written and presented by me callie beaton and produced by mike hansen and karusha dami for pod people productions with music by jake yap i'm callie beaton until next time Motherfuckers. Mm-hmm.